0: What's happening, what's happening, what's happening, blues people? Let's let's get to it. Let's get to it. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Today's show, African-American Folklorist Blues People Narrative, because you know that the blues narrative lives with the African-American Folklorist uh, magazine. The blues narrative lives with Jack Dapper blues and we're going to talk about it today and if you're riding with me you know don't be afraid to comment don't be afraid to ask questions because there's a few things that we have to discuss this evening one of the things well you know what let me rephrase that it's not that there's a few things we have to discuss is one specific thing we have to discuss that encompasses a few things. The importance of telling your own narrative, the importance of someone of said folk group, tribe, community, family, culture, heritage, telling the story. Again, and I say again, for those who've, heard me before, listened to me before, rode with me before. For new people, this is the first time you're hearing this, I am not omitting, disregarding, or pushing away someone outside of any particular community, culture, folk group and the like to not participate and share the story and things of this nature. What I am an advocate for, regardless of who you are, what your ethnicity is, what your racial makeup is, what they classify you as, you have an obligation, if to no one else yourself, to make sure you tell the story of your groups and your people. You know what I'm saying? What's happening, Kyle? Thanks for riding with me, bro. So with that being said, we're going to discuss a couple of things that for me is evidence to why we should always, when I say we, I'm not just talking about the so-called Black or so-called African American. Uh, I'm not just talking about the blues people. Everyone from a particular folk group, community, et cetera, et cetera, should take the responsibility of telling their story. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're going to start with this. On November, now, mind you, today is November 22nd. <laughs> Still here. In some places, depending on your what time zone you're in or what part of the world you're in, it is already... November 23rd, but here it is November 22nd. And the reason why that is important is because what we're going to talk about this evening. We're starting with Robert Johnson. Because as of tomorrow, November 23rd, in 1936, Robert Johnson took part in what's considered the most historic and iconic record session in not only blues history, but American music history. Now, if any of you listened to my uh, broadcast yesterday when I was on the radio playing blues, just the music, and, and chopping it up with the people, some of you may have heard me speak about this, right? I wanna go into more detail this evening. Okay, so now here's an excerpt from a website. I don't even remember what it was because so many people are experts on Robert Johnson. And mind you, I'm gonna start it off with this disclaimer. This is not anti-Robert Johnson. Because Robert Johnson was a hella musician when he was alive. This is not anti any non so-called black folk that revere him as a musician or likes to share his story. This is just simply why those of the family, community, culture, tribe should always be part when someone is telling the story of someone else or someone else's culture so it says robert johnson's first ever recording section session took place on november 23rd in 1936 at the gutner hotel at 205 east houston street in san antonio texas Vocalion producer Don Law had booked two adjoining rooms one for the recording equipment and one for the musicians. Johnson recorded eight tracks during that section including the classics Sweet Home Chicago, I Believe I'll Dust My Broom, and Terraplane Blues. He got some money for it okay. Now Here's where it gets a little murky, because there's a couple of different stories. One story is that, like this person, I, I should have took this person's name down so I can um, credit him, even though I <laughs> yeah, I should have done that. But he says that Robert Johnson ended up going to jail and having to call Don Law to get bailed out. There's also stories where Robert Johnson wanted to meet, you know, he hooked up with a chick, called a dude, asked for some money so he can get a room and something to eat, whatever. That's not, well, that is actually some of the point of the story, right? Because what happens is, and this is the hotel that you're looking at, right? Where this took place. Throughout the many years of my research, documenting, playing blues, talking to blues musicians, blues historians, enthusiasts, purists, and all of the above. Throughout the many years of doing this, the one thing that is, uh, how can I say it's 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 a thread throughout all of these years particularly from non-black blues musicians or enthusiasts historians and and those who are all of the above that robert johnson's 1936 november 23rd recording again like i said at the top of this broadcast is the most historic That is false on so many levels. Just like the PR stunt of him selling his soul to the devil to have a a, a phenomenal or, or extraordinary musical talent or gift. Now as a folklorist and just a person who is inquisitive and likes investi- investigating things you know i will i will never say that spirituality uh, mystics in 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 religion black magic voodoo witchcraft christianity all these things you know Uh, what's in the supernatural, for lack of a better term. They all play part in Black tradition. They all play part in the blues. They all play part in pretty much everyone's folklore and culture. So I, I say that to say it. I'm not saying there is no level of supernatural in these men and women's lives. What I am saying is because someone... got and owned the likeness in the music or intellectual property of Robert Johnson, that person is at liberty to perpetuate whatever story he wants. I'm looking around for this book because I was talking to my brother the other day and I was telling him about this dude And I think I took the book out of the room because I wanted him to get it to get the book (laughs) about Lawrence uh, uh, Gerbert. I think his name is Gerbert. Matter of fact, let me take a look right here. You hear me going through my books and the reason why I'm taking a look over here, because like I told anybody who saw any of my other lives, the other live I did the other day, I have the copy of the Journal of American Folklore, which I was honored and blessed to write a couple of pieces in and be written about, but I actually did a book review on this particular piece and I want to get the name right. So you guys know who I'm talking about and why it's important. So the name of the book, first and foremost, is A Sound History right? And it's about Lawrence Gellert, that's his name, forgive me, Lawrence Gellert, Black Music, Black Musical Protest and White Denial. Look that up, and I may refer it back to that as we're having this conversation, because, and there's a, there's a few books, there's also a book, uh, Blues, Black Voices, White Visions. Now, again, this is not about black and white, but this is about who tells the story and why ethnographic and folkloristic tools are extremely important. Why getting the story from the people, specifically, well, especially if you're of the people, is important. So, getting back to Robert Johnson, right? The, you know, this he's a, a, alleged to be the epicenter of what blues is supposed to be, and this 1936 recording allegedly is the most significant recording in the blues. By now. This is by some historian and uh, enthusiast and purist's version of the story. So let's talk about a few people that, for the most part, at least to me, and to some people that I've spoken with on and off air, are more significant than Robert Johnson, even though Robert Johnson did make history, I mean, he was an understudy, an underling of Sun House, Charlie Patton, and Willie Brown. He predates Muddy Waters. So now we have a situation where Sun House, Robert Johnson, and Muddy Waters have at least two to four, of, if not the same, extremely similar songs, different renditions Started by Sun House, picked up by Robert Johnson, and then passed down to Muddy Waters, all coming from Sun House. So now, a lot of people revere Sun House, and those of you who know me know I'm one of those people who love Sun House. But why isn't he getting the same... Uh, how could I put this? Why, why isn't he the face of the blues the way Robert Johnson seems to be? Again, I'm not downplaying Robert Johnson's significant contribution. But if you listen to Walking Blues, if you listen to um, Preaching Blues, Up Jump the Devil, these are, these are Sun House songs. Outside of Sun House, outside of Charlie Patton, we can even we're not not even um, Rube Lacey, who put Sun House on. Let's talk about. It's because the see, but this is what I'm saying. This, This is what I'm saying, brother Kyle. They're running a story of selling his soul when Tommy Johnson predates Robert Johnson with this story. Or better yet, the person who I was about to start talking about. Brother P.D. Wheatstraw. William Bunch. Now, hands down, P.D. Wheatstraw, alongside of Memphis Mini, has the largest musical catalog. Mind you, P.D. Wheatstraw died in 1941. P.D. Wheatstraw died in 1941. Why is that important? Because that is about, what, four or five years after Robert Johnson made these particular recordings that's been deemed the most significant recordings in blues. P.D. Wheatstraw had been recording way before that. (laughs) way before that he died in 1941 when Sun House made recordings and if anybody who listens to Sun House his early work this dude this dude was amazing as was who's this sorry y'all as was PD Weastro as was Memphis Minnie as was Mamie Smith who recorded the first record to go platinum at the turn of the century. What, maybe 1910, maybe 1914? Something like this. We're not even thinking about... Well, of course we're not thinking about it because I didn't bring it up yet. Henry Thomas. Why is Henry Thomas important? Henry Thomas recorded, hmm, let's see. Now, you can also go to uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, or just, you know, the website, or even the African-American Folklorist Newspaper-like page to access all of my archived and current podcast interviews and broadcasts. Where you will hear a series, a, a two, two, three-part series podcasts that I uh, produced and worked with Dom Flemings, where we discussed Henry Thomas in, in 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 full detail. And Henry Thomas, between the years of 1927 and 1929 recorded at least 25, maybe 27 songs. And if you want to speak in regards of significance, and again, I'm not taking away anything from Robert Johnson because this dude was fierce when it came to being a musician. But Henry Thomas, like Elijah Cox, was a conduit between the old way and a new way, the old music and the current people of the time. Henry Thomas made a significant contribution, not to mention his unorthodox style of play, playing the panpipe while playing. You see, we have to, and when I say we, everybody... <laughs> everybody if you come from what is it bluegrass music which you know the the reality is majority of music that becomes pop music popular music stems from what's considered the african american so you know you everyone has a traditional expression wherever their tribe, cultural heritage um, originates and it carries with them. I'm not saying that, but a lot of American music predicated off of the black experience, right? But even though bluegrass, what became known as country, what was known as hillbilly music, again, coming from a black family of Kentucky and spreading out. And you can also go to WKU, wkyu.fm or NPR1 to in search up the African-American folklores, where I interview and speak in detail about this particular family and uh, a couple of black guitarists and musicians of of the early days of Kentucky the inception of different of of Kentucky in these places where their influence and in them sharing their musical skill style and 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 phrasing they share it they teach it they play it with white musicians who go on to be the the face the forefathers and mothers of of cultural music of of white southerners now with that being said swinging back to the point Robert G- well, besides Robert Johnson, the the reason why I brought up that particular the particular statement I just said was because it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is if you're just tuning in, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your tribe, your culture, whatever. You you have to make sure if you don't want to document the story of your people, assist those that are not of your community, of your family, of your lineage, of your tribal expression. Do you understand? Because one, it'll be exploited. And two, not always malicious but sometimes it is malicious and when i say malicious you have to protect the lie what do i mean by that now i just told you about this book i told you i was going to get back to the book didn't i tell you i was going to get back to the book I should have brought up a picture of this guy. I might do that. So you guys can look it up and I might bring up a picture of the book. But I told you I was gonna come back to Lawrence Gillard. Lawrence Gillard was a a Hungarian Jewish folklorist. He hated the term folklorist. He hated folklorists. Um, If memory serves me correct, he's out of Bronx. I know he's out of New York and he ended up going down south. Now, he played, he made significant contributions in the early black arts movement. He worked with Sterling Brown. He worked with Langston Hughes. He worked with the um, Black Theater of Harlem. You know, he did a whole bunch of things. But one of his major and significant contributions to ethnography, ethnomusicology, folklore and the preservation of a folk group and their tribal or cultural expression is when he documented black songs of protest. Now these songs were documented, uh, Maybe the twenty. He did it quite a few times, I believe, in the twenties, thirties, forties, if I'm not mistaken. But the issue became the songs that he recorded, documented, and wrote about did not mesh, gel, nor reflect the version of the story a particular group of folklorists, historians, ethnomusicologists and ethnographers were pushing. Now, it wasn't just his documenting of black protest songs because he pretty much had issue with all flip-floppers, right? he had issues with all flip-floppers. And he speaks about it in detail. But the point was, he was, he, he was not omitting integrity. He was not omitting what we are supposed to do as folklorists and ethnographers and ethnomusicologists, which is to put the people that we are representing studying in some cases and documenting first. He actually did that. And what they did was went on an onslaught of perpetual discrediting of this man's work. Of course he didn't go for it, but at the same time he didn't care because he didn't like the bureaucracy of the field. It just so happens what ended up happening. You like to write, it just so happens what ended up happening. Time and technology caught up to each other. And they were able to bounce what he recorded onto a playable device and was able to hear the songs that he recorded. And you know, it's, it's, I believe it's in Indiana right now. Was it Bloomington, Bloomingdale? It's in Indiana right now, Indiana University, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's where it lives right now. He, You know, actually, Lawrence Gellert is a perfect example of someone not of the people or the culture or the tradition or the community that had enough respect, chutzpah, and integrity to honor their voices. And this is why I keep saying or making the disclaimer, this is not about color or this is not being divisive. This is making sure that anyone outside of a particular group should take on the responsibility of preserving that story. And if you don't want to do that, make sure you are present, ever present, with someone who does take on that, who's from the outside. And in some cases, you will meet radicals like Lawrence Geller. <laughs> so now, Going back to the story, Robert Johnson allegedly has made the most significant recording in 1936. Now, again, you have to be careful who is telling the story son house who i just brought up and i'm bringing up again son house who again robert johnson was an understudy and you can go on youtube i'm not even going to tell you the story you you could just go to youtube type up the story and you will hear son house himself tell the story of his experience with young robert johnson He was told on multiple occasions during the folk and blues revival how old he was. Just just let, let me explain. Let me say this again. He was told, he was told by young, bright-eyed up-and-coming musicians, uh, non-Southern Black folk that took to the music, that were invested in it, some um, exploitatively and some not exploitatively, some really who loved it, right? But they were telling him how old he was. And it did not matter how much he refuted this misinformation. They continued to tell him how old he was. Now, there's something very wrong here, right? Because that's still, and I hate to use this Term, so you know what I'm not going to use this term. What I will say is that's marginalizing the voice of the people that you claim to be, you claim to have reverence for. That's how I word that. That's marginalizing the voice you claim to have reverence for. Now, I I I have a a performance. A lot of you've seen it. I've I've done, I've performed it uh, quite a bit from. Uh, 2015 to about 2018. And I then it kind of, because of personal reasons, I didn't perform it so much, but I did get a few in in uh, 2018 and possibly early 2019, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, I've, I've been waist deep in the research, y'all. <laughs> but the name of this performance is called the Jack Dapper Blues Experience what is original songs with storytelling and the stories of my connection my family's connection my lineage connection to the blues us as blues people this the this, is a, this is pretty much the the on the, the the start of the blues narrative children of the great migration right I start It is only two covers I do in this entire piece. It's all original songs with stories that weave the songs together and connecting present day blues people with past blues people. And remember, this is interactive. Y'all could chime in. Y'all could chime in and talk, and say something, ask a question, or, or, or however you want to do it. So, it's only two songs that I performed that are covers, and both of them are Sun House songs that are acapella, is what people call it now, but call and response field hollers, right? One is grinning on your face. That's what I open with. And the last song I close... Well, I don't close with that song, actually. Just the last song before my closing song is John and Revelator. I I close with a Black spiritual, a feel holler that I wrote with my family. And when they are with me for these performances, they perform the song with me. Right? It's called... I, you know what? I don't know. What do we call it? Sometimes I call it, I've been down Sometimes I call it down Sometimes I call it help me, help me get on up. Right. What's happening, brother? What's happening? Thank you, sir. Thank you, brother. Justin, you know, there's, there's different, I call it what, what I call it depending on how we feel at the moment. But the point is matter of fact, Let me give you an excerpt of, so I, so, so I go in. I sing Gritting on Your Face, right? And then this is how I pretty much start the set. After I finish singing Gritting on Your Face, I tell the audience who sang it, when it was recorded, then I go into this. This is this is what I say during the during the performance. This is first thing. This house start. It's been said that Sun House's legal document states he was born in 1902. However, he himself, Sun House, claims he was 79 in 1965 during the revivals, which would mean. He was born about 1886, right? Now he died in 1988. So either he was 102 years old when he died or here's the relation, like all of my grandparents from that region, he never truly knew his birth date. Now, this is where, I mean, it's very important as y'all know, but this is where it really gets important. (laughs) Not that it wasn't before, but this is the doozy. Besides the fact that my, my mother's father, my grandpops knew all these cats coming from, my grandparents coming from the region of Natchez and Amorite, Mississippi, Gloucester. And, and my father's pops knew the other, the other cats, you know, because they come from Louisiana, Belrose and Gonzales. the documentation of their birth, like most indigenous people passed down, told to you. But because of what was happening on the American soil at that time, documentations was being falsified. Now, that's going to be another presentation when I speak about the reclassification of the people of that region. What I will say, though, as they continue to tell this man how old he was, as he continued to tell them, that's not how old I am, this is how old I am. There could be a chance they both was wrong. Either way, the people telling him how old they thought he was were the ones in violation. Why is that a problem? Again, going to the root of this podcast. You have to to document your story. Again, some of these young guys, these young college students that revered these older black musicians, they they weren't, some of them really just loved the music, loved to be around them and wanted to learn how to play, wanted to just be around them. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of them just wanted the document because that, that they were able to create a, an entire industry of ethnomusicology, of ethno, eth- ethnography. The issue comes... <laughs> And you can go to the American Folklore Society website. They explain it in detail. The respect of the interviewee, of the the ones being documented, of the people that you're Profiling, highlighting, however you want to word it, that comes first. Their well-being, their safety, their protection, and the honoring of their voice. Now, (laughs) keep in mind, keep in mind, we're talking about different eras. So in 1936... In 1914, in 1842, in 1965, there, there was it was it was a different playing field. <laughs> they worked to omit and discredit the voice of a pale skinned Hungarian Jewish man. <laughs> so I, I, I don't find it crazy that they would be telling a black man what they think he needs to be knowing i i get it and this is again this is just reality you understand what i'm saying this is just reality this is not a shot this is just reality when you go back and you read some of these documents and some of these transcriptions you 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 did there was a sense of entitlement or they were dealing and talking to primitive people and it wasn't just black people. And that was one of the biggest issues with those who are not of the folklore, ethnographic world. Better yet, that was one of the problems John Wesley Work had with the Lomaxes. He wanted to document the progression of black expression right not going backwards robert johnson is someone that was in the right place at the right time but the way white youth gravitated to him was because their lack of orientation to black culture so his story was isolated you know I like how you worded that. Um I'm, you know what? I'm gonna say I'm gonna tell you something. And excuse me, it may sound like I'm disagreeing with you, but I'm not. You touch on a great point, and I'm gonna tell you why you touch on a great point, brother Kyle. Think of um dang, I just thought of his name. Um Man, so I can't think of this artist's name. He, 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 he was a white guy. Um, Buddy Holly. Now, if you watch the movie or any documentaries about Buddy Holly, there's one thing that's always, there's two things that's always pushed to the forefront. One, It took him some time to get a record deal because when he would send his music, the labels loved him. When they invited him down and saw that he was white, they was like, what the hell? We thought this was a black group, we can't sign you. Where did he get that style of music from? And this is not talking about appropriating, right? Because he actually used to sneak outside, I guess, into a car or something to listen to the black music stations or what they called race records, right? He listened to race records and remember race records was, how do you say, another form of segregation. Robert Johnson was isolated now this is my perspective my how i received the situation but he was isolated not necessarily based on the segregation of black culture and white audiences he was isolated because of the marketing and exploitation of a dead man's story and you know something i hate to say it, but uh, a good buddy of mine professor harp has been trying to uh link me with uh, i believe miss Anne is her name uh miss annie uh robert johnson's relative who just wrote recently not just but recently wrote a book about him and in in, in kind of correcting or putting in the proper context his story. I need to take a look at that. I really need to take a look at it. I have not. And and I don't disagree with what you're saying, because they were able to isolate his story to a particular... Yes, yes, so I'm, I'm agreeing with you. They were able to isolate his story to a particular group of people, making him the the catalyst of of these audiences searching for the blues which is similar to what uh homegirl said in the book um blues matter of fact i hate doing it i read that book so long ago i use it as an example but i want to get her name uh i know it's called black voices and white visions or white visions and black voices I just want to get her name, so y'all know who I'm talking about and what you should be uh, reading. You know what y'all should. What you when I say what you should be reading, when you want to, you know, none of this. Well, here's a better way of putting it. This is all convoluted, right? It's all convoluted right i think it's called the blues white vision black voices white men's vision black voices something like this if you guys remember put it in the chat i'm typing it in my my computer right now ah i got it <laughs> In Search of the Blues, Black Voices, White Visions. And she speaks about this. And and the writer, her name is is Mary Beth Hamilton. It's a very interesting read. And, And she speaks about this, but, 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 here's the real, now bust this, bust this. Bust this. Yeah, I just told my age. I said, bust this. And we're going to talk about this man in a minute. This is Elijah Cox. But bust this. Meredith Hamilton doesn't even like the blues. That's the first thing she shares with us in the book. So what? what... <laughs> Now, when I say, so what and why, you know, when you read the book, she she shares her story and how she got invested in this particular story. But here's someone who doesn't even like, identify or care about the culture. She was into something totally different. Right. And and. The issue with that is that... Now, everybody doesn't go into something as a a blank page. Most of us, including myself, go into something with the preconceived notions of our experience or, or what we've read or what we've done or who we spoke to or what we think we know about said topic. So if you're going into something and you don't even have a love a like or interest then we have to really you know, we got to put your story under a microscope a bit. You know, and, and she made a lot of good points. But to be fair is a little one-sided now, Elijah Cox is an interesting story. He to me, qualifies as as the old the, the old day, old country folklorist, ethnographer, musicologist, if you will, folklorist, if you will. Why do I say that? First of all, now you can go again to the African American folklorist website, or you can uh, put in the search African-American folklorist in Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and you can hear my piece on Elijah Cox. He's a very in- intricate part of the story. He was also part of the slave narratives, right? And you, you most of you know that the blues narrative as we work this in real time, because I'm still working on it, it is the, the baton passed from the slave narratives. So they're born into slavery. We're children of the great migration, okay? Now, with that being said, the irony is Elijah Cox was never a slave. He was born free, He was a Buffalo soldier. He was stationed in San Angelo, Texas, and where he was stationed during the the war, he was stationed with ex-slaves who taught him songs that he carried from the 1800s to mid to late 1800s into the 1930s. He was interviewed in 1936, if my memory serves me correctly, and he was 93 years old. He, he has, I mean, look. He would be a legitimate source, a credible source. You know, now, again, this is not anti Robert Johnson. This is the narrative that was perpetuated around him that didn't come from his peoples like Johnny Shines, who always, as we say, kept it a buck. Another man, Howlin' Wolf, baby. Now, where do I start? I was told by someone who's a very great person, the epitome, the pinnacle of Howlin' Wolf's career, what he desired most he got, That's what I was told. And do you know what that was? For him to perform in front of a white audience when the Rolling Stones brought him out. Listen, nothing could be furthest from the truth. Now, hold on. Hold on. Okay in how, do, how how can i word this to be fair or better yet in in uh, defense in defense of the person who told me that that just could, that, that that was probably told to them from somebody who took the idea or took the conflict or issue howland wolf had with not being recognized the way he should and then they, they take that concept and say, well, obviously he means he wants to be, he, he wants to be deemed great by white people, white audience, excuse me, but, but that's not what the issue was. The issue one, two, and three was the the British invasion. That was one of the issues. The Eric Clapton's, that was another issue. The fact that people, groups of bands like the Beatles were becoming bigger than life of their music, their style. That was the issue. It wasn't he wanted to perform in front of, oh, but yet it wasn't that he thought he had made it once he performed in front of a white audience. We're talking about someone that admittedly stated he, he, he lack of education, but had the wherewithal to run his band like a business collected taxes from his band members so when they weren't performing, he could pay them unemployment. So this guy was was, was nobody's fool. Then he went back to school to get educated. I believe he got an honorable doctorate, if I'm not mistaken, or honorable master's from Chicago University. If I'm wrong, put it in the chat. But it's something to that effect. which is why the G belongs on the end of his name spelled correctly. But this goes back to, and again, I'm not talking about the person who shared the information with me. I'm talking about where the information came from. Somebody told this person, this is what Howland Wolf wanted. Now, until one of his relatives come forward and say that was the case. I am not ever, no, and this is what I'm talking about. Again, not racial, narrative, not divisive, encouraging people to be more responsible. That goes for me too, when you're telling your story, your people's story and other people's story. That's what I love about folklore. Ethnography, particularly now, because everybody's taking it very serious to not just preserve the stories, but protect the voices and the people. More importantly, the people these stories come from. You know, I didn't even get—I didn't even get to Memphis, many. in the book. You know, I speak about this a lot. I don't want to beat that into the mud. You know what I'm saying? But either way, I appreciate y'all hanging out with me. What I will say is, go to our Patreon page. We got a couple of programs up already. Um, the, The newspaper... Is no longer a newspaper, it's a news magazine, a cultural news magazine, a folklore news magazine, a ethnography, ethnographic magazine, a ethnomusicology magazine. Listen, check it out. Go to the Patreon page, become a Patreon. Okay. Celebrate Robert tomorrow. And while, while while you're thinking about his undeniable contribution to the blues people, just remember the other folk that predate, also those that came after, like Brother Kwan, John Tavius Willis, Brother Marquise Knox, Piedmont Blues, and a whole slew of folk who did the Robert Johnson Challenge during the quarantine. Think about our, our blues folks that are living right now. And 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 better yet, don't just think about the musicians. Think about the people that is represented in these expressions because the expressions come from the people. That's why I always make the argument blues... Black spiritual, field holler, prison, work songs. These is, did I say Black spirituals? Okay. Hip hop, rap. These are the closest things to the, 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 the dictionary definition or, or the fundamental definition of what folk music is. Y'all have a good night. I'm about to go sit down with my family. They probably ate already. If they didn't, I'm going to go eat with my family. I'll be speaking with y'all soon. If you have anything y'all want me to address or you want to talk about or, or whatever, just shoot, you know, shoot the email. Make sure you follow the African-American Folklorist newspaper on Twitter. Follow Jack Dapper, Jack Dapper Blues on Twitter, Instagram. Um, Do I have... Yeah, 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 and just just jump on this, but but make sure y'all jump on the the news magazine. We 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 refaced we it, rebranded it. Same thing, just just more upscale, great 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 content. Because the whole purpose is tell the story, encourage the people to tell their story, and have a place for everybody to be able to present and have their story lives. Y'all be cool.